Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Tech Podcast. I'm John Tomey, the founder of Urban Tech and your guide to the intersection of cities and tech. This week, I got to talk to Kaz Holloway. Notably, Kaz was the deputy mayor of New York who helped lead relief efforts during Hurricane Sandy, which we got to talk a little bit about, but most of our conversation focused on the no-code revolution that's taking off and finally starting to reach local governments, which Kaz knows a little bit about. These days, he is the head of public enterprise for a no-code platform called Uncork. If you're unfamiliar with no-code and what that means, essentially it is a platform that does not require you to write a single line of code. You use a graphic user interface to drag and drop lines of code and essentially operations to build out programs, functions, and all that technical stuff. We get into it a little bit. Kaz and I are definitely not technical experts, so we're probably the guys to help you understand and bring it home a little bit. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. I have Kaz Holloway here for the Urban Tech Podcast. Kaz, thanks for taking time. Thanks for having me, John. So I'm super excited to get to chat with you. I think you bring a lot of experience from both the government side and now working on the tech side to help local governments and municipalities really bring innovation to fix a lot of the inefficiencies that they're seeing. So I guess to start off, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your work during Hurricane Sandy and how you got into working for a no-code startup. Sure. So just starting with a little bit of background i my first job out of college was for the parks department of new york city and i got my first taste of new york city politics then and then went and got a law degree and worked at law firms in new york city but then had the opportunity in 2006 to join the bloomberg administration and i thought i would be there for a couple of years Eight years later, I had basically been at City Hall, ran the water and sewer utility, which is called DEP, and served as deputy mayor for operations for the last two and a half years of the Bloomberg administration. And it was during that period that, of course, Superstorm Sandy hit. Lots of other stuff happened, but Sandy absolutely now was until COVID, the one of one of the, the biggest events natural disaster events to ever hit the city. That was one of the things that I think really, there's a direct link between my work in Hurricane Sandy and how I ended up at a startup. And it has to do with technology, not surprisingly. So back in 2012, when Sandy hit, you have tens of thousands of people who are impacted by the disaster. Some people are impacted in the worst way. We did lose 44 New Yorkers, which is a tragedy. But tens of thousands of people were displaced from their homes, many homes destroyed, and people need relief. So they get initial relief from an agency called FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency. But then the real long-term relief comes through HUD, actually, through CDBG grants. The linkage between these two programs, back then at least, and I can't speak to now, was not very good. And so what you had to do as a local jurisdiction was essentially build from scratch technology to manage people basically moving from one program into the longer-term HUD program. And it took months. 
um, was very frustrating. And I ultimately left a city government at the end of the Bloomberg administration, worked at Bloomberg LP for a number of years, but then learned about Uncork, this platform that offered the prospect of no code. And when I saw the platform, my immediate reaction was, that's it. If I'd had that, we would have been able to respond much more effectively and quickly to the needs of people after Sandy. And so I joined the firm. And luckily, we've been fortunate to be able to help some cities, New York City included, to do some COVID response. So that's how I ended up at Uncork. I can tell you more about that. For sure. I think before we get to Uncork, I think I want to dive a little bit into that background because I think the Hurricane Sandy thing speaks a lot to me personally. I'm from Houston. I grew up south of Houston on the Gulf Coast, uh, evacuated Hurricane Ike when I was in middle school and have definitely thought a lot about climate change and thinking about how cities can be more resilient for natural disasters and aspects like that and the structural things you can build into to help them deal with them more efficiently. I live in LA now, so obviously wildfires and things of that nature are a huge concern for us out here on the West Coast. So maybe I'd just love to hear a little bit more about what you actually focused on for Hurricane Sandy and just some of the observations you had from that time. Sure. One thing that I was very lucky to, that was very lucky about being part of the Bloomberg administration is that the Bloomberg administration had a lot of great talent in it, but Mike focused a lot on not just the day-to-day, but long-term planning. And he is a very unique politician in that respect. There are many politicians, and this is some by some to some extent by necessity, are much more focused on the immediate tactical issues. Even if they're thinking about their long-term goals, it's really on a four-year timeline. In 2007, the Bloomberg administration put out a plan called Plan YC, and that was NYC 2030. That was a comprehensive blueprint for sustainability and livability in New York City. And it was based on one fact, that the census projections were that New York City was going to grow by a million residents by 2030. And Mike's question was, my gosh, how are we going to, how, do we, how is the city going to accommodate that? Now, of course, you have to deal with climate, infrastructure, transportation, all of those things. And if you look at Plan YC now, and it's been done by dozens and dozens of cities, translated into many languages, it really is a landmark plan. So Sandy hit, uh, and I had a role in my during the Bloomberg administration in implementing Plan YC. And of course, the immediate response was what you had to deal with first from the storms coming, we're going to evacuate, get people into shelters, then get most people out of the shelters. Then we set up a program to get people back into their homes. But Mike also did then what he had done in 2007. He said, we're going to deal with this immediate response and what people need, but we also have an obligation to say, what does the city need to actually Mm -hmm. survive going forward? Long term. And so the administration released, uh, we put together, and I was deeply involved in putting this out, uh, a plan called A Stronger, More Resilient New York. And it is a comprehensive blueprint for resiliency, looking at the particular challenges that New York City faces 
from climate in particular. Now, different cities in different places, Texas faces some different challenges, but New York, Houston, mm-hmm. many places in California, all are facing one common threat, which is the sheer number of catastrophic events and what were formerly seen as 100-year events, 200-year events, 500-year events are happening with much, much greater frequency, which is one of the consequences of climate change. And so these plans are badly needed in order for cities to adapt to what the new reality is going to be. Yeah, no, I'd love to dig into that a bit. Is there anything, because I think about this a lot as I'm thinking about how local governments can reform their structure to make things more efficient to build the resiliency aspect that they need? Because, you know, I think a lot of the criticisms of government is not doing the things beforehand to stop the disaster. So I'm curious, New York obviously has a very unique structure that no other city in the world has and has a system to create that. And a mayor like Bloomberg had the opportunity and also reform the system through giving more power to people like you to also hire and have great ideas. So I'm curious, and I come from Texas, I live in Los Angeles now where government's much more centered around the county level. Just anything on structure that's worth noting that can make resiliency planning easier? So I think your your observation, New York City is like no other place is right on, and it does have to do with structure. New York City is an incredibly powerful mayoralty, and this is the result, really, of almost accident. The reforms that were necessitated by the fact that certain government structures in New York City were deemed unconstitutional in 1989 caused a revision of the charter that ended up putting tremendous power in the mayor. City council is also powerful. But the mayor of New York City has the ability to make policy decisions and has broad control, working in consensus with many other parties, but to do things like invest several billion dollars in infrastructure for resiliency, to make decisions about how the healthcare system is going to work to make decisions about how the food network is going to be made more resilient in New York City. And so that is true. But New York City also has a great tradition of collaboration with the region. There's a, the Regional Planning Association, of course, is one of the famous good government organizations. I'm a, I'm a big fan of RPA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as am I. And of course, they've put out, I think they're on their fourth major plan. And so while on the one hand, New York City's local government does give a high degree of autonomy and authority to the mayor, there is also this rich tradition of collaboration. The current politics are between the city and the state, for example, are more of an anomaly. There's always been friction between New York City, between the mayor and the governor and and others. I think it's particularly the case now. No comment on that, except that it is the case. Um, Something I noticed when I worked in New York politics and something that people who had been around for a lot longer than I remarked and made sure I realized 
Yeah. Which part? That that there is the friction or that there's the inevitable friction, no matter who the mayor is and no matter who the governor is, the mayor and the governor are probably going to butt heads and have some friction. That is true. Although I will say, I guess Mike Bloomberg was mayor for 12 years and I think that spanned four governors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. Tremendous amounts of different, many different kinds of things were done between the city and the state that we couldn't have gotten done from the rebuilding of the World Trade Center to the as, as, as dysfunctional at times as that whole process seemed. It is the case that 10 years from that terrible tragedy, the site was open and the memorial was open. That's pretty phenomenal. Mm. You have that. You have uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park, which was a state entity. You have the High Line. You have many great big things. Not everything went through. Congestion pricing ran right into the some of the typical structural yeah. things. But anyway, I think that regional planning and collaboration is something that New York City is no that also has a tradition of, and that's what you have to have. And I think California, you, mm-hmm. I've actually now with Uncork, we've been talking to a lot of different jurisdictions at the city and the county level about our rent relief program that is. Mm-hmm designed to help local governments disperse quickly the relief that came through the latest COVID stimulus bill. And you, the city and the county structure, the ideal thing to do is for everyone, for people to cooperate. And I see it happening, which is a great thing. So I do think that those multi-layered, the multi-layered, the multi-jurisdictional structure of our system can contribute to inefficiency, but it can work. I think that's great. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about Uncork now that kind of got the background stuff. Maybe just give me some of the high level. I know you guys, I think, recently had some funding news and what the focus is now. And really, I know you guys have been around for a few years, but it seems like they're really taking off. So just a sentence on what Uncork is. It is an app. It is a software development platform. And it's a new way to build software, a way to build software without writing code. Some people hear that and they say, my gosh, that can't be the case, but it really is. We are a no-code application development platform for enterprise. We are serving the largest um, financial institutions, insurance companies, and now cities and local governments. And we are also uh, looking to move into the federal space as well. And what no-code enables a number of uh, benefits that we can talk through, just to finish with the overview though, the platform is a full technology stack from the user interface to the workflow rules engine and the complex calculations to the backend database and analytics and then the whole the security that is so important to any enterprise software mm-hmm. so uncork is all of that in one I think one of the most powerful elements of uncork is that we easily integrate with legacy systems which anyone in local government will tell you is the biggest, one of the biggest frustrations of technology transformation is that you, in, you have inherited this tremendous amount of legacy. And too often before now, it was the case that you basically had to replace that in order to take full advantage of new technologies. And of course, that costs a tremendous amount of money. And from a political perspective, isn't always the, the, the thing that, that newly elected officials want to focus on. So Uncork really facilitates doing that in a way and at a speed that wasn't possible before. 
I know you were doing some work and you mentioned at the top, I think, about some of the COVID response. And maybe that's a good example to give an idea on how this actually works, because I know I'm not a technical person, so a no-code platform for me. I'm a big fan of Notion uh, for collaborative stuff and the no-code revolution. It's a huge trend that I'm focused on, but I can sympathize uh, for the local government workers who are trying to just understand this stuff a little bit better. So maybe just walk me through an example. Absolutely. The way you build applications in Uncork is through a set of visual drag-and-drop interfaces, starting with a workflow. So what that enables is the people who deliver services and in the business side, the people who deliver a business, a business process to literally build the application that they want to build. And ultimately, IT is still an incredibly important partner, but ultimately to deploy it. Now, what it also enables is... <clears throat> It's highly flexible, and the speed that you can develop complex applications when you don't have to translate requirements into software, <laughs> into code, is pretty incredible. So one of the things with COVID response is, and this is all public record, but we have we did work with the city to develop an application that they use to help deliver food to the food insecure. And we were able to deliver that in 72 hours. And so what that enabled was people to you know, fill out a survey to see if they qualify as food insecure, order meals, and then have those meals delivered by drivers who work for the Taxi and Limousine Commission. That is really, when you think about it, a combination of Uber Eats and Amazon fulfillment. And you were able to put that together just in a matter of days. It really enables the, the del delivery of complex applications at unprecedented speed. And we also integrated with a number of legacy systems and so forth. Is that, that's a that's an example. Give me an idea and I'm familiar with people in local government. I don't think they're always typically the most open ended innovation, which is why a no code platform would be so attractive and how it can fix all the fragmentation. So I'm curious, what concerns are people talking about? And when you're having these conversations, I'd imagine security and things like I know ransomware attacks on local municipalities are increasing and that. So what, what are they worried about? And really, what are they hoping to accomplish? You hit on the issue that is first and foremost in everyone's mind, and that's security. Uh, security in multiple dimensions. First of all, there, of course, is what you've, you mentioned, attacks. Bad actors out there who want to bring systems down or try to get some kind of leverage over an existing system to extract a payment or ex extort something. Then there's just regular day-to-day -day security that has more to do with who in an application, who is allowed to see what and do what? How do you keep roles separated? How do you ensure that the that the integrity of data and the integrity of processes are maintained? And so Uncork was really built with the, to, to address both of those security concerns from the ground up. We are a uh, first in the way that we deploy we actually deploy in what's called a single tenant cloud instance. So lots of cloud companies mix all of their customers together in a in an environment. And and that's fine as far as it goes. But when you deploy in Uncork, let's say we're working with um, Banker City X, they're in a cloud environment that is 
fully secured, encryption at rest and in transit, many other security protections, but also they're the only one there. There's no commingling of customers, no so the, the one of the things that people have, you know, great confidence in right off the bat is I at least I'm in this instance and and it's just me. So that's one of the examples of the ways in which we are built to accommodate the security requirements of the most stringent government, private sector, and now healthcare entities as well. I can imagine, obviously, sensitive information, and particularly when you're talking healthcare, that makes me think of HIPAA restrictions, which I know in this space is quite a big lift to connecting all the IT systems and all the privacy concerns. And it costs a lot of money actually to do that on the back end. So I'm curious, and you're obviously steeped in talking to people, but as you look as the next few years ahead and some of the technology that's on the horizon, some of the bigger categories, things like blockchain technology, uh, maybe more innovation and like LIDAR, what I guess, are there any categories of technology that local governments or regional governments might particularly make use of in the next few years or that you're excited about? The one I'm most excited about, which isn't going to be a surprise to you, is no code. And the reason for that is because it it has the applicability cuts across the entire public sector, from public safety mm-hmm. to infrastructure and operations to case management in the in the healthcare context to economic development. Let's take this rent relief application. So this program, $25 billion, every state gets $200 million. The treasury is already distributing funds. But the requirements to ensure that the right people get the money, that the right records are taken, that the right prioritization is done in terms of people's income level and in terms of whether or not they're properly, that who they are has been confirmed and that they are actually entitled to relief. All of those requirements are incredibly important and they can be onerous. And with a, with a platform like Uncork, not only are we able to stand up a digital end-to-end solution for local governments to implement, because we are able to bring into the platform very easily different services. Alexis Nexus, for example, for security purposes, single sign-on and different security protocols that can be unique to jurisdictions or that are certain kinds of standards. And so when you mention blockchain or you mention LIDAR, blockchain is a component, a way of, it is a methodology of doing a, a database and distributing data and maintaining its you know, integrity through a, through a record that can't be edited. That can easily be integrated with Uncork. Machine learning, also easy to apply machine learning models to any data that you're bringing into Uncork. In fact, we're working on that in the social services space. One of the big trends is as the police departments are, local governments are looking and saying, we wanna make sure that the police focuses on police work. And we want social service and other agencies to deal with the things that really require a social service approach. But how do you distinguish these things? Today, you have in many places, the police responding to tons of things that really are not police related. So you can use things like machine learning 
and natural language processing to effectively route things to the right agency much more quickly. So that's just a just a simple example, but Uncork really is a platform that enables you to plug in on almost unlimited array of services and functionality, put it all together to deliver a process. And then when that process changes, as it inevitably will, you can easily make those changes and keep your application and move forward. So that's one of the reasons why I think no code is really exciting and something that in the public sector, just like it's taking off in the private sector and now in healthcare, will really, I think, make a big difference over time. All those other technologies that you mentioned are also incredibly important and they can all be joined up. There's a lot of technologists who are working with local governments who read and listen to urban tech. So I'm curious um, what advice and maybe outside of getting on the no-code trend and going in there, what advice as they think about how to embrace innovation would you have for them? And I just want to make sure in, in terms of who, government technologists or just, yeah, just frame play, the question again? Yeah, totally. People who work for gov- local government, urban planners who work for the city, work for regional governments, people who are working nonprofits and advocacy groups, working on community development stuff, and they're all looking for innovation to embrace. What typical advice or strategies might they find helpful to embrace technology to help make their cities and communities a little bit better? So a, a few things. One, first, I just want to maybe uh, challenge the an underlying assumption that that innovation is something that is comes slow to government. In fact, government is so often so under-resourced that the you know, what my experience, both in New York City and in meeting now with dozens and dozens of local governments is they are looking for innovative solutions. Now, there are things that can get in the way. Procurement procedures can get in the way. Legacy technology can get in the way. But as a general matter, I have found that more often than not, chief information officers, chief technology officers, and certainly people who are delivering services are willing to embrace and try innovation. And so the first thing I would say is keep that up. I think that it is, the other thing is though, there's just such a shortage of time. And when you look at now what local government is dealing with in terms of the response to COVID and moving into this economic recovery there can be a tendency to say, I don't have the time to think about how to do this or bring in you know, a new platform, a new approach, a new technology, us or anybody else. And my only suggestion would be by taking a moment and thinking through making a, an investment, not a long investment because nobody has long time to respond to the needs here, I think you may find that the benefits that are reaped far outweigh the the cost of maintaining and going with legacy systems and traditional approaches, even though you may think that you have to do that in order to move quickly. And so I guess I would say, just make sure before you say, I don't have the bandwidth or the time 
really think about that and see whether or not the benefits of maybe taking a little bit of time and thought are going to outweigh sticking with what you have. And I love that point. And I think that's something that I really saw in New York City and what really got me excited. One of the projects I got to work on early in my career was the Cornell Tech Project, which obviously the Bloomberg administration had a long role in that. And there's a lot of history there, but I think that's an example of how government can really be a catalyst for not only creating it, but bringing together all the parties needed to create a healthy innovation ecosystem. So I love that point. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I have two kind of standard questions I ask everyone. Before uh, you ask that, actually, oh, let me just go for it. Build, let me just build on one, one thing that you said there, because I think Cornell Technion is an amazing example of, first of all, boy, oh boy, did it work. Right. And people thought it was nuts at the time. We're it did work. Out, I, I agree. It, yeah. it, it more than worked. We're putting out an RFP to do what? Build a technology university on Roosevelt Island? That's crazy. So one thing that, that, and I would say the Bloomberg administration, but this is really Mike Bloomberg. And this gets at one of the things that you said, what is it that prevents people from being innovative? And it's not actually a lack of desire, but bottleneck decision-making and only having a very few number of people who are empowered to make decisions and take risks. That happens in government a lot. If you get to the right person in a situation like that, you may find that they want to do a ton of innovative stuff. However, there's only a certain amount of throughput that, the, that, that you can get through a system like that. And so another suggestion I have is follow the Bloomberg model. Hire good people, delegate to those people, and trust them. And by the way, let them fail because they're only going to be willing to try new stuff if they know that the consequences of not being completely successful are not going to be that you have to look for a new job. That point, and I think it touches on so many of the themes and trends that I love kind of thinking about and getting to talk to people like you. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you should have? And maybe if you can share with the audience where people can follow your work, Uncork's work, and keep up to date with what you're up to. Absolutely. Let's see. Uncork is on LinkedIn. Our CEO, Gary Hoberman, also. And there's just great content there all the time. I'm on LinkedIn. And you also can go to uncork.com and learn about uh, all the different ways in which our platform is helping to transform industries. And if you have any interest, I will do a demo for anybody. Reach out and connect. I'm going to have to follow up with you. I might have to get a demo myself. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Listen, good luck with everything you're doing. Uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And the, this has been great. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'll be sure to include links to all the great Uncorked content so everyone can get a little bit smarter and all show notes and all that place. Kaz, thank you so much for the time and hopefully I'll get to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, John. One final ask before I go, please continue to share the Urban Tech newsletter and podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. Anyone who could benefit from learning about how tech is changing our cities more and more every day. Thanks. And I'll talk to you soon.